welcome to Live Shopping Demystified, a series dedicated to unraveling the intricacies of live shopping and the phenomenon around it, which they, we know there are a lot of intricacies in this. I'm your host, Cynthia Nelson, video commerce expert, three-time entrepreneur, Forbes contributor, and early stage investor and advisor. Today, we're talking to Drew Cashmore, global B2B CMO, former head of Walmart Connect, and Fireworks CMO. Good morning, Drew, and thank you for joining us. Good morning. What's happening in your world? Anything exciting? Well, at least we're having a heat wave in New York. So finally, we're having a heat Perfect. wave. We've had, we've had <laughs> yeah. really Just great. The weather. end of summer. All of a sudden, shh, it's supposed to be great now. So it's great. I'm, I'm really happy that you're here today. You know, you were an early digital media industry person. You know, you were there kind of at the beginning. You saw the evolution and growth of it. Um, what learnings can you share from those early days that are still kind of relevant today in live and VOD shoppable in the whole video segment as it's evolved? This is a, a really good question, and I don't think I've paralleled those two moments, but um, maybe it would, would help to go back to the, the beginning. So about 15, 20 years ago, um, I joined Walmart, and uh, we were in the early stages of the digital marketing um, acceleration point. And so social had had uh, really taken off. Um, we were at the transition from MySpace to Facebook um, as, a, as the dominant player. Um, Google was big, Amazon was was coming up and, and was starting to kind of threaten Walmart as a whole. Um, and, and at Walmart, only about 2% of their global digital marketing was spent in um, digital media. And so predominantly print, TV, radio, uh, but, but very early days as it relates to the internet. Um, and I think for me, I came in pretty arrogant and under the belief that um, we could just move the needle and, and change to digital really, really quickly. Because um, I, I saw it and, and uh, you know, our industry was definitely talking about it a lot. And that in hindsight was not the right approach. Um, and so that took uh, years of, of change management and helping people understand that, yes, your jobs are going to change. Um, yes, the things that you do and what you need to learn is going to change, but um, we're, we're all in this together and we can, we can um, collectively rebuild this company in a way that, that suits the, the next generation of consumers. And I think we're there again um, as it relates to video. And we're at this, I want to say precipice, or we're at this moment where um, video is becoming a dominant uh, driver of influence of shopping. And we're having to figure out a new way of managing that because it's it's different than than it ever was. And so I agree with you. I think it parallels that exact moment, but this time it's about helping people along the journey and and helping re-architect and, and re-strategize for them so that they're comfortable with this change. And it leads me to the whole kind of why shoppable video and why now? You know, we hear so much about it, the rise of it, you know, of course, China exploded. We know what's going on there. But then, you know, Shopable Video is coming into the U.S., but in a different way. And in practice, it's a little, it's different. And how did you see that? Because you were, like you said, you were early stage Walmart and you you were shaping that whole, you know, testing of live and VOD shopping. And what have, what have you seen, kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly of this last, like, I would say even, you know, 24 to 36 months, right? It's, it's a lot. Um... So, so I guess 
as a baseline, it's worth we're setting out that that people are consuming video at scale. Um, and so we know that the average consumer today is spending about two and a half hours of video on video on a daily basis. Um, and a, a significant portion of the time they're watching video related to products and services. So about 30, 35% of the time, they want to know more about the ratings and reviews of a product. They want to know more about um, how to effectively use that in a DIY scenario or um, uh, learn more about the features of that product itself. And, and so that, that is to say that people are already using video at scale to make purchasing decisions. Um, and so we need more of it. I love this stat. There, there, is a, um, there was kind of a, a Pinterest study uh, a little bit ago that was looking at video consumption and people scroll about a mile a day watching videos. And if you play it out for that scroll, it's about 1.2 seconds that they spend on an average video. So they scroll a mile a day, they watch two and a half hours of video, but on an average uh, per video watch, it's only 1.2 seconds. If you take that same video and you put it on your website, it jumps to 17 seconds if it's in an e-commerce environment. And if it's live, it jumps to 12 minutes. And so just by sheerly taking the, the exact same experience and putting it in a transactional environment, people watch more video um, and they spend more time on it. And, and then in addition to that, when you take video and the carousels and the units and put them in an e-commerce site, on the pages where you see video, transaction volume and conversion volume jump almost across the board. And so con consumers, just by sheerly having video on the website, consumers are willing to spend more and spend more time on the site. Um, and, and I think that's that's where we're seeing a big opportunity now in this space is that people are um, ultimately looking to consume video at scale and are ultimately being influenced by it. Um, and so those are kind of the, the changes that we're seeing here uh, in that video consumption is happening in a probably different place than we had anticipated it uh, in the early days of, of TikTok and whatnot. I can definitely see that, you know, with the 1.2 seconds, because I know myself, you know, <laughs> scrolling through Instagram, well, yeah. right? Oh, that's so funny. Look at the parrot with the tick, 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 tick. And then the, you know, I see that and then I'm gone to the next. Then there's a cooking one. I've got gone to the next. But if it was on a website where I was actually interested in purchasing a product, I would stay longer on it. And it could be where you created video once and distributed a bunch of different times in different places to test it out because you're going to have your Instagram yeah. video and you're going to have your TikTok video and you're going to have Facebook video. But when you, when you do drive it to the commerce site and also the commerce site is where consumers are used to shopping. They're not used to actually making a transactional purchase on Facebook, Instagram. It's, it's like an entertainment form. It's I, I agree with you. I think, and it's yeah. entertaining and interesting, which is what it was built for, right? It's, you know, yeah. connecting to your friends and family, you know, showing the best face of your of you and all the things that you're doing and your vacation photos. It's like that, but the commerce piece has never been a place. You don't go there traditionally for that. And I think making that, changing that behavior is is really difficult where I think influencing the change and showcasing a product quickly that's super interesting and the click through to buy or go to the commerce site to find out more data seems like an easier transition for brands that are, that are utilizing video in that way. Exactly. I, I agree with you. I think it'll be ubiquitous. Video will show up in many, many places. 
Um, but if you're a brand today that's that's spending a lot of money on content and someone's only watching it for 1.2 seconds, yeah. it's not worth it. Um, right. and so you need to find a new avenue to drive this. That brings me to kind of the, you, know, you started testing stuff really early in live shopping when you were at Walmart. I mean, you guys were really one of the first out there at the retail side that was jumping in. I mean, I think before Target was there, definitely before like the, the fresh directs, the other people that are now doing a lot more with, with video shopping, video commerce, you know, you were charging forward in a company that's very traditional in a lot of ways and not as nimble maybe in some ways, but, you know, putting that flag and the stake in the ground and that flag down and saying, no, we're going to, we're going to invest in this. Like, how was that internally as a CMO? You know, you're, you're kind of looking across your entire marketing strategy for the company and you're bringing in something new. It was kind of harking back to like bringing in digital 20 years ago, right? You're bringing in something new, although shoppable video from a TV perspective has been around for 50 years. How was, what was the reaction kind of internally and what did you see over time in, in moving your teams in that direction? Yeah. And I should say, uh... It wasn't playing off. There's a huge narrative now about replicating the China model for live shopping. And it wasn't about that. At the time, it was um, it kind of preceded that, but there was a desire to have a almost like a QVC home shopping network type experience in digital and see how it played out. Yeah. Um, but I remember back, back in the day, we would spend like we built a house at one point and had every every single room set up in such a way that you could have live shopping in each experience. Um, and I think in the early days, it was fun. It was so interesting being able to be a part of something like that. Um, but it was so, so expensive. Yeah. And and you, and you and I actually, I believe it still parallels this moment today where you spend a lot of time working on the content creation and uh, investing in high, high quality production. Um, and then you spend a lot of time figuring out the traffic drivers because people don't organically seek out those experiences. Um, and then you launch this thing and unless you've paid for that traffic, nobody shows up. And so now you've spent a ton of money on something that very few people actually see. And, and it's, it's a, it's a loss. Um, and so I think in the early days, it was, it was amazing to be a part of something like that. Um, and it was, it was, you know, what I love about Walmart is they're both really great at, at testing and, and also innovating in, in kind of the entertainment space. Um, mm -hmm. So figuring out how do you effectively use content to tell a story and, and um, you know, help people enjoy the experience of shopping more. Uh, but yeah, too expensive, not a lot of traffic. And so I think that the parallel to today, um, you've still got brand spending a lot of money in content creation. Um, uh, and, and I think there's a new way that we need to start to look at this space that that's a lot more efficient and um, um, uh, repeatable, I guess. Yeah, like kind of rinse, wash, and repeat. Yeah, so to speak. there's there's I mean, there formulaics to it, right? Totally, and that and that like I, not not to look too much at the China model for yeah. for live shopping, but the the what seemingly works there is that there's an always on repeatable experience. People know that they can go to these websites at any time and see a live shopping experience. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to get there in, in the West. I think it'll probably be more of a, a consistent time period or, um, you know, a scheduled event. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I think that the 
mass content creation is going to be a huge piece of this. And, and to get there, you're going to need to find a much more efficient way to create content. I also think if you look at the, you know, you mentioned QVC, HSN, right, the model, it, it's all about uh, something that you can't get anywhere else, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just, hey, we're doing a video today and, you know, this is the product we're going to sell. It's, this is the most amazing product because it does all of the, you know, the features and benefits have to be so clear and you can only get these two today on this special that we're doing that exclusivity buying in. I can only buy this here and now with this person who I trust as a KOL or, or an influencer or a celebrity or a talent, um, and then there's the, you know, those call to action, you know, having that, you know, sometimes a person who develops the product and is the the creator is not really great, you know, on camera. It's like, it's like the author yeah. who don't do their audible readings. Yes. Because they can't, they're not, they're great at writing it, but they're not going to give, that's why they hire professional talent and celebrities to do the readings and the emotive storyline, right? It's like, you know, finding that balance between, the creativity, the, the art and the science of it, right? There's a total art to doing this and there's a total art, there's a total science on the on the technology in the backend side. I agree. I, I will say though that there are some phenomenal CEOs that I've worked with as one example who are so incredibly passionate about their brands um, and, you know, who will, um, are willing to have conversations on a daily basis like Sarah Potempa and Ken Atori, Beach Waver and and the Tory um, fashion, the, the they are so um, thoughtful around content creation and are willing to talk to their customers on a daily basis. And I think that that becomes the important piece of it. Um, you're right, influencers, creators, they will all play a role in it. But the thing that actually really excites me about this space is is uh, from a creation standpoint, almost anybody can do it as long as there is some kind of appeal. And so. Um, you know, as long as it's someone you want to listen to. And so what what we see in the the industry or what what will ultimately happen is everyone becomes a merchant. Your family, your friends, your, your creators, influencers, CEOs, like everyone becomes a part of this story. Um, and and shopping becomes a lot more, uh, I guess organic, uh, an organic part of your life. More the, more of the what we've been talking about for a while, the marketplace, the ultimate the ultimate marketplace exactly. is you know matching brands to brands to talent, talent to brands. I come up because I happen to like this one thing, and I've got an X amount of following. I can get on there and do it too. So it, it there's a whole kind of cottage industry of small nano and micro influencers mm -hmm. that have great reach and great authenticity that should do very, very well in the future. If they can, if we can all figure out what the marketplace, you know, links are going to not just, just link, you know, 2%, there's got to be yeah. more of an incentive for them to actually make real money doing it too. I think that yeah, model exactly. is still TBD. Um, how do you see, you know, I, I've talked to a bunch of different platforms and what I've heard especially recently, is that as this market has started to mature, now we in the U.S. have been going on two, three, four years, right? Some companies and brands have done 100 lives. They're doing them every week. They're getting 10% <laughs> conversion, right? Now they're like, okay, how do they go to the next level? You know, Do you see professional services playing an important part in these kind of bigger brands developing a comprehensive 
video commerce strategy, you know, from the sea level, you know, outwardly and even globally, right? What they're doing in the US, maybe they can do in Canada, what they should be doing in Latin America, what they're doing. Do you see that as kind of the next phase of the market? Y yes. Um, the So it, it has been my experience that every live shopping platform that has existed uh, in the West has had to figure out the professional services component. Um, and it becomes a really high cost thing within the um, those platforms because they're, they, you know, they're built to be SaaS companies um, and they have to figure out how to help brands get there. But I think that's entirely it, that brands today, and it, it goes back to the early stages of, stages of digital, don't know how to do this. And, and if they have been doing it before, they're doing it in a high cost, um, non-repeatable way. And so I, when I think about professional services moving forward, there's probably multiple components of it. Um, the first is just let us help you with that strategy. Let us help you learn how to um, build a hyper-efficient content creation engine at scale. Um, and, and then you start to move into like true production uh, resourcing and thinking about that true integrated marketing plan and how it all comes together. Um, so it, it's probably multi-tiered, but, but generally speaking, in the early days of this thing, I think that we're going to really need to help people along that journey with professional services and, um, and it, you know, just, just make sure that they're doing it properly. I don't see the platforms doing it because they just don't have the margin. Yeah, that's the, yeah that's exactly. The thing, you know, to staff up professional services at a, you know, a level to where you can walk into the C-suite and actually have not only impact, but, you know, relative experience, those people are not cheap, right? So, And, it's, and for oh, them, it's not scalable, right? Because not, not every client's going to need it. So, exactly. yeah. But yeah. it is kind of, if you're if on the outside of it, it's a key differentiator for them too, to kind of sell, upsell this into clients that actually need it, even if they're not the ones who are performing that work you know, they yep. can bring in outside additional experts to do that. And I think it makes them, even as thought leaders, it makes them look better. I completely agree. And 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 frankly, key to, key to this though, is that you need to at least have that offering. Um, and I agree with you, like it doesn't, it shouldn't, especially within a SaaS company, it probably shouldn't be in-house um, because it, 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 you're right, it erodes margins. But I think the um, client's, often need help. Um, and, and we need to be really thinking about how do we collectively um, teach the market how to manage this moving forward. Um, and it, it it's not going to come off of just giving them a platform and saying, you guys figure it out. Thank you. Any, any final thoughts on, you know, encouraging to those brands who maybe put their little toe in it, but they maybe did it once and maybe didn't work, but, you know, any encouraging thoughts or, or parting thoughts? Yeah, I, I would say get started and don't stop. It's um the you know you you might run into a play. I, I was talking to a um a CEO in the space recently, and and she was saying that uh, when I started live streaming um, or when I started creating content, nobody would watch it, um, and it took me two to three months to get a following, and then it became a pivotal part of my business moving forward. And so it takes time. Um, and that's why you need an efficient way to get there because you're not, you're not going to be able to do these 
high production things on a daily basis. Um, but I would say get started and just keep going um, and play with it and and learn from it and um, and don't give up because because exactly like we talked about at the start of this, this is coming at force and and we need to be prepared for what uh, is a frankly a reimagination of the way in which people shop online. True. Thank you so much, Drew, for your time. We really appreciate it and have a great day. Thanks, Cynthia.